All right, welcome to the second episode of the Queen City Control Room podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. On today's episode, we will be covering week one of the NBA action. We're covering our picks from last week and making new picks for the upcoming week. Um, We talk about the Hornets winning their first game against the Spurs and the offseason issues that are rolling into the regular season now. We talk about college basketball, the AP Top 25 was released, and also about possible expansion of the NCAA tournament. And finally, we look ahead into this week in college football as well. Let's get to it. Episode two, let's go. All right, let's get right into it. We are recording this episode on Thursday, October 20th at about 9 p.m. So we've had two full days of NBA action so far in week one. I currently have the Bucks sixers game on my TV, and I'm flipping back and forth between that and the game two of the ALCS, Yankees and Astros. Uh, Yankees are down 2-3 in the top of the fourth, so let's see what happens there. Hopefully we can... Uh, avoid going down 2-0 in the series, but we're not really here to talk about baseball. So let's get into uh, week one of the NBA. We can start with uh, our picks from last week. What did you notice in your games? All right. Well, for my picks last week, I had the the first game, I had the Timberwolves minus 11 and a half versus the Thunder. And the Timberwolves looked horrible. The Timberwolves are <laughs> not good. Not a good team. Uh, overestimated them. I think a bad place to start for them is giving Cat six shots during the game when he's supposed to be your best player. Second best, first best. Yeah. It's not a good look. So that was pretty bad. But well, the other on the part other of that side. Too, I was going to say the other part of that too is the fact that they were playing uh, the Jazz who are supposed to be or no, not the Jazz, sorry. They were playing um, the Thunder, who are supposed to be in rebuild mode again, right? Um, I I guess in Mm -hmm. theory, if you would have asked that question like two months ago, they probably would have said no, because even though Wimbanyama is on the the horizon for teams that want to tank right now, I think um, the Thunder were maybe trying to avoid that because they had Chet, had SGA, Josh Giddey, you know, really not a bad team. They all played really well together and in the summer league for those that played, obviously SGA didn't. So, mm-hmm. you know, then Chet goes down in one of the pro-am games after trying to defend LeBron on a fast break. And I think things change a little bit for Sam Presti. So maybe he's eyeing up Wimbanyama and on paper, the Timberwolves should blow out the thunder. Yeah. I mean, you get both those guys, you line them up with Chet, you have the twin towers back there. Why not? <laughs> it could happen, I suppose. Yeah. Um, do you want to do your first one there? Yeah, let me talk about my favorite here. Uh, I had the Hawks minus nine and a half versus the Rockets. The Hawks ended up winning 117 to 107, so they ended up covering the spread. I would say the Hawks looked good all the way around. Obviously, they're one of my favorite teams after the Hornets, so know a lot of the players and kind of how they gel together. I would like to start by saying that Trey Young, even on a bad shooting night, put up 23, 3, and 13. So three boards, obviously, whatever, 13 assists Mm -hmm. on seven of 22 from shooting and only one of nine from three, which is entirely uncharacteristic for him, but still managed to contribute 23 points. 
You had DeJounte Murray's first game in Atlanta, and he put up 25 and 11. And then you had John Collins, who's one of my favorite players, put up 24, 8 and 8 after being out for a significant portion of the last season. I would say all around the Hawks looked really good. So did the Rockets, though, which is kind of surprising because mm-hmm. they have such a young team. I don't think that I think the, the Spurs are the youngest team in the NBA, um, but the Rockets are probably close, a close second there. But they so so the Rockets, I would say, did look decent. And there were points where the Rockets were leading, um, but ultimately the Hawks were able to kind of pull it together and run away with it a little bit towards the end. And one thing yeah. I want to note as to why I think they looked pretty good, I heard this in an interview i think recently but a woman was describing a reporter a female reporter was describing um kind of why the hawks were gelling so well last night together and she told a story about how over the summer it was like three or four weeks before the preseason started Dejounte lands in atlanta like starting to work out go to the facility and everything and trey who's playing out in a pro-am in los in los angeles goes calls him up and says, Hey, you know, why don't you come out? Let's play ball together. And, and DeJounte goes, no, man, I'm already in Atlanta. Why don't you come back here? Let's play together here. Let's get the team together. Trey mm-hmm. immediately books a flight to fly back to Atlanta. They, they get some of the team together and they're working out for three or four weeks before the preseason even starts. So I think you also kind of have a young team there, um, but there's some really good pieces and you have guys that want to win, obviously they're not just showing up to preseason, showing up to training camp and, just playing basketball, right? They're actually putting in the extra efforts to get better. So I think you're going to see a lot of, uh, a lot of Hawks wins this year, hopefully anyways. Yeah. It literally took no time for DeJounte to get adjusted to the team. They both gelled right away. Must've been from the off season work and they have personalities that seem like they'd work well together at least. Yeah. I don't remember who DeJounte dunked over last night, but there was a point I was watching in the first quarter uh, because the Hornets game didn't start till eight last night. And there was a point where DeJounte went in and posterized somebody in the first quarter, early in the second quarter, maybe. And you heard the announcer just go, well, he's fitting in perfectly here. And I think you couldn't have uh, characterized it any better than that. I think the team looks like he's been playing there for years. So mm-hmm. hopefully they can put something together. But at the end of the day, the Hawks covered the nine and a half point spread. So at least we were both successful in our favorite picks there. Yeah. What was the final score? They won by 10? One by 10. So they covered it by half a point, but <laughs> hey, you know what? That's okay. Cover is a cover. Cover is a cover. Yeah, and then on the other side, I had the Pelicans plus four minus the, or against the Nets. Never a doubt there. Pelicans <laughs> blew them out start to finish. Uh, the Pelicans just look great all around. I mean, Zion's back. The boys are rolling. Rolled right through Brooklyn. Everybody thought, Brooklyn would come out hot after last year, but not so much. Yeah, I guess you would have thought that Brooklyn, after getting swept out of the playoffs by the Celtics last year, who ultimately ended up going to the finals, you would think Brooklyn, KD, and Kyrie would come back out with a little bit of a, you know, fire under them, especially up against a Pelicans team who is probably coming out with a lot to prove, but on paper maybe is definitely the underdog and i think i don't remember what the final score was last night i'm looking it up right now 130 to 108 pelicans blew them out by 22 um outscored them by 18 in the first quarter 12 in the third quarter and two in the fourth quarter i mean the nets looked bad last night so yeah 
Pelicans, I think, are they were competitive last year, if you remember. They got into the play in tournament. They mm-hmm. ended up getting into the playoffs as the eight seed. And I know you don't want to talk about it, but they did give the Suns a run for their money. There were points where they looked pretty good against the Suns. And that was all without Zion. So, mm-hmm. you know, he looked good last night as well. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah Brandon Ingram looks sick with his <laughs> afro out there. He looks like that one guy from <laughs> NBA Street on PlayStation. For sure. Yeah. Ingram put up 28 last night. Zion put up 25. CJ put up 21. Valanciunas even put up 15 and 13 boards. So Pelicans are going to be a dangerous team this year. I think we have a lot of dangerous teams, and I'm just going to say this right now. I think this has got to be the most competitively balanced NBA that we've had in a very long time. Yeah, facts. Big facts. <laughs> yeah, I think the the Pelicans have to be one of the official podcast Dark Horse teams. For sure. I'm, I'm, I'm good to ride with that. Uh, let's see my underdog. I had the Mavs plus five and a half at the suns. And if you would have went to bed at halftime, you would have thought the Mavs were going to absolutely have no problem covering that. Um, and honestly, the Mavs probably should have won if not for a Damian Lee heroic shot and some awful coaching decisions by Jason Kidd. Mm -hmm. Um, the Mavs were up 17 at the half. Luca was absolutely rolling. Um, I can't remember how much he had at the half. I want to say it was like low twenties or something, maybe 20, yeah, I think he had 21. So the Mavs should have done well. Um, but then, you know, you have the Suns, and they're always, anytime you're facing the Suns, you got to be worried about whether they're making a run and who they got on the floor and everything. Cause that team is well-rounded all the way around. Mm-hmm. The Suns went on a few runs in the second half and ultimately closed the gap. The final score, the Mavs lost 107 to 105. Luca had a chance at the buzzer and didn't hit it, but you know, that's the way it goes sometimes. Yeah. Luca ended with 35, nine and six. So almost a triple double there. And I think I called that in our first episode that he was, if I had, if I was going to bet, I might bet that he was going to get a triple double. So he ultimately didn't, but pretty close. I'll take it. The surprise for me for the Mavs uh, was Christian Wood. He was just traded to the Mavs this off season. And he contributed 25, eight and two. And the big thing there is that he only played 24 minutes and he was one of the few Mavs players that actually had a positive plus minus. He was plus nine for the night. I think there were only three or four players that had a, that had a a positive plus minus for the Mavs. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that he was probably the breakout player for me and also centered on some of the bad coaching decisions by Jason Kidd was there was a point. I'm pretty sure it was all in the third quarter. You can correct me if you think I'm wrong, but there was a point in the third quarter where Christian Wood put up 16 straight points for the Mavs. Mm-hmm. And he, he's absolutely rolling. He probably honestly shouldn't be coming off the bench, but I understand they got to try and feel him out and everything. So it is what it is. But um, it comes down to it in the fourth quarter. The Suns and the Mavs are battling back and forth. And Jason Kidd is their coach. We all know Jason Kidd. And it's the fourth quarter. Christian Wood is hot, but instead of continuing to play Christian Wood through the end of the game, Jason Kidd decides to go back to Maxi Kleber, who he's a little bit more comfortable with. And I think that's where the fault came for the Mavs in the fourth quarter, really. I don't think there's anything they could have done differently, at least on the floor player-wise. But Jason Kidd pretty much played himself last night by not playing Christian Wood, and that's mm-hmm. the reason the Mavs lost. 
but I'm not here because the Mavs lost. I'm here because the Mavs covered the five and a half point spread against the Suns. And I thought it was really funny because after the game, Devin Booker was like relishing in the fact that they got their like revenge on the, on the Mavs. And I know, again, you're a Suns fan, but to me coming out and beating the Mavs by two points when they're still trying to figure things out, isn't really getting your, uh, you know, retaliation, but it's the first game of the season. It's a long season. We got 81 games to go. I think the Suns are going to be at the top of the conference, but some interesting stuff happening. The end of the day, we both were two and zero with our first two picks, which is honestly very surprising. One and one. You were one and one. Yeah, the Timberwolves didn't cover. What was the spread there? Eleven and a half. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Well, then I guess you were one and one, and I was two and zero. So I'll I'll take the lead on the the records here. Yeah, I mean the Suns had a good second half. Obviously, Luca was like plus twenty two at halftime, and then. Minus 38 in the second half. It's yeah, a tough think... look for him. But yeah, it yeah. happens. I Good mean, stuff. they had some good luck on their side. Not luck, but kind of luck in the first half with Aiton getting three fouls in like the first four minutes and just taking them off the floor immediately. Facts. But yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it could have easily turned into a 40 point game, but I'm sure a lot I of hope... people did go to bed on it. I hope for Christian Wood's sake, though, that he doesn't continue to come off the bench. And even if he does, he's getting more than 24 minutes a game because Dallas obviously needs him on the floor. Yeah, they definitely got to put him out there more. I think they were talking about it in the second half when they thought the game was over, but they said Jason Kidd and Mark Cuban like Wood coming off the bench because they didn't have any bench scoring last year. So they wanted someone who could create shots off the bench, I guess. I mean... Okay. They're, they're the coach and the owner. I, you know, it is what it is. I don't necessarily agree that that's the right play for them, but they're yeah. another team that they're another team that's going to be right in the mix for the playoffs for the Western conference. I mean, it's going to be pretty crazy this year. So mm-hmm. that being yeah. said, yeah, I will say a great man who is my co-host here once said good teams, win, great teams cover the spread. So Max. Here we are. <laughs> um, I think well those said. are our picks. <laughs> yeah, those are our picks from last week. Um, what else happened week one that you want to talk about here? Uh, I think we jump back to the first game here and talk about the Celtics. I mean, first game of the week, first game of the year. Sure. Um, the Celtics won by nine. I think it was at home, right? I think so. Oh, yeah, it was at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Tatum had 35, Brown had 35, Embiid had 26 and 15, and Harden had 35 too. 35's going around. (laughs) But Tatum and Brown just looked pretty much unstoppable from three and just creating shots. Everything was falling for them. They looked good. I mean, for them being my finals pick this year, it's a great start for the boys. And for Jason Tatum being your MVP pick as well. True. That's my MVP right there. <laughs> um, I don't want to talk about the Lakers because I don't particularly enjoy them. Um, <laughs> but I, I just want to note that the thing with the Lakers that absolutely blew up NBA Twitter was the fact that they shot 10 of 40 from three. I mean, 25%. They put up 43s and hit 10 of them. 
Yeah, it stinks. They, <laughs> that's, that's awful. They're a bad three-point shooting team, and LeBron said it in the post game. He's like, we just don't have lasers going from the outside. It's not right. wrong. I think the Lakers are going to be a team to keep an eye on around the trade deadline, or maybe even before, I guess. But Yeah, I let's hope they do that like today for their sake. They're going to realize pretty quickly um, that they don't really have a roster to compete with some of the better teams in the NBA yep. this season. I that's all I have on the Lakers game. Uh, what else you got from last night? I guess I have the Grizzlies winning by three in overtime. Ja just goes crazy. Nobody can guard him pretty much. Yeah. Um, he's just getting and ones all over the board, just celebrating call 12. But Jalen Brunson looked pretty good, made that play at the end to tie it up in regulation, and then took that charge. Yep. Not a bad start in a new new uniform no that was pretty good for him cam radish obviously looked good for the knicks there at the end hitting those shots Mm -hmm. i was trying to find uh i was trying to find a quick tweet real quick just to go back to the sixers game i don't want to spend too much time looking for it obviously because we're well past it but i do want to say i saw a tweet someone was counting the amount of times that james harden dribbled the ball versus other players Mm -hmm. on the team and versus the rest of the nets as a whole and James Harden had like 120, 130, maybe more dribbles than the entire rest of the Sixers. He had like 400 and change or 500 and change. And the rest of the Sixers had 400 and change total, which is just part of the reason that he put up 35, but weird, crazy statistic. Just dribbling the air out of the ball. <clears throat> Something like that. I want to go back to the Pelicans and the Nets. You covered them for your um, underdog pick. I want to comment on a different section of the game. So obviously the big news was Zion's return to the NBA. He hasn't played an NBA game in like 535 plus or minus days. Mm-hmm. And I, like, like I mentioned before, he put up 25, nine, three and four. Katie and Kyrie were back after a very tumultuous off season. A lot of trade rumors that ultimately went nowhere. The big story for me in an entirely negative way was Ben Simmons. Uh, he is Ben Simmons is one of the sorriest excuses for a professional athlete I've ever seen in my entire life. (laughs) Going back two seasons when he was with the Sixers and they made that run in the playoffs, might be three seasons. I think it was two seasons. Uh, This man, let's see, had such a poor run in the playoffs to the point where he just straight up stopped shooting the ball in the fourth quarter because he was bricking literally everything. Then last season, he elected to sit out for the Sixers and he apparently had some back issues. There were some other issues that he was, you know, allegedly dealing with, quote unquote. Uh, but ultimately, he effectively decided to just sit out the entire season, or at least up until the trade deadline, right? He gets traded to Brooklyn in the James Harden trade with Seth Curry. He still sits out the rest of the season there. Pretty, again, sorry excuse for a professional athlete. The Nets get to the playoffs. I think they go down 2 0 to the Celtics. And after game two, I want to say he's cleared medically to come back and rejoin the team. And I think a lot of people were expecting him to come back, right? I mean, your team's down 2-0 in the playoffs. You might not have played in the season, but you're still at least supposed to be one of the better players on your team. Mm-hmm. And he decided not to come back. Um, I guess his excuse, at least, was that he didn't want his back to flare up again. But I mean your team's on the verge of getting wiped out of the playoffs. They could probably use you. You're getting paid buku bucks to play. I don't know. It doesn't sit right with me. And 
this is not also the first time that he's done this. He did it something very, very similar back when he was at LSU in college. So this man has a history of putting himself over the rest of his team and being an extremely selfish basketball player. Doesn't sit right with me. He looked a little rusty there. I mean, not a great look, like four points or whatever, fouling out in the third quarter. They're getting yeah. smoked. I mean, four you're points. supposed to be the defensive guy, but right. not helping. Wants to be candidate for defensive player of the year. He puts up four points, five assists, five boards, and six fouls. So I guess anytime you're 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 that you're supposed to be that caliber of a player and you're putting up more fouls than you are points or rebounds or assists that would uh that would give me some question marks if i was the you know management of the of the nets honestly in my opinion and i'm just a fan of the game so just take this for what it's worth he's not worth what they're paying to him i would be looking to ship him somewhere else at the trade deadline honestly mm-hmm. i would rather completely rebuild the franchise and have ben simmons on my team but yeah you know Ben Simmons sucks. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Devil's advocate. He hasn't played in like years at this point. He he's gonna have a few games that are rusty, but if he can get his act right after that, he could get back to a decent player at least. I mean, Zion hasn't played in literally two years. Yeah. He gained a lot of weight, shedded a lot of weight, and still put up what did I say, 25, 9, 3, and 4 last night. A mm-hmm. lot of play. A lot of players came back last night after very, very lengthy um, absences from the NBA and did not have the same issues. Maybe yeah. he's a little. Maybe Devil's Advocate is he's a little bit more defensive minded, so he's getting a little bit more aggressive in the paint. But the team wanted him to be <laughs> aggressive on defense. He got six fouls. That's aggressive. The team wanted him to shoot good on <laughs> offense. Shot one for one hundred percent. Can't do better than that. I guess. I guess if you're going to try and put a positive spin on it. That's probably the way to go. That man shot 100% last night. Best shooter on the team. What else we got here from last night? The Bulls beat the Heat without Zach Levine. I think the story out of that game was, or at least going into the game, was how the Heat were going to look after this offseason. They didn't really make any moves that I'm aware of other than giving Tyler Hero the massive extension, which was four years and $130 million, I think. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they obviously went to the Eastern Conference Finals and arguably were a Jimmy Butler three away from making it to the NBA Finals. So a lot of questions there for that Heat team on what the expectations are going to be this season. The Bulls, obviously, without Zach Levine, one of their better scorers. And ultimately, the way it came out was the Heat really were only scoring last night if Tyler Hero or Max Struess were getting their or hitting their shots or if Jimmy Butler was going to the free throw line because he was 14 of 16 from the line last night. On the other side, you had Vucevic playing a really good game, but the star for the uh, Bulls last night was DeMar DeRozan, who put up 37, 6, and 9. And the thing I want to point out there is DeMar put up 37 without hitting any threes. He was 0 of 2 from 3 and still put up 37 points last night. And I don't know too many players that are going to be able to do that. Yeah, most mid-range shots made in the NBA last year. Yep. Not bad. The only other game about the Jazz. I was going to say the only other game that I want to that I want to mention, um, the only other game is the Jazz beating the Nuggets. The Jazz were very famously this offseason going into rebuild mode 
trading away Rudy Gobert for draft picks and some players, trading away Donovan Mitchell for draft picks and some players. They don't have bad players on their team. They still have Colin Sexton. They have Laurie Markinen. They have Walker Kessler, who they got from Minnesota in the Rudy Gobert trade. And he's a rookie, obviously, but he still played a bunch last night. They have Kelly Olenek. And I'm not a fan, but they have Kelly Olenek. <laughs> don't need to mention him. <laughs> don't need to mention him. Um, Jordan Clarkson. But, Jordan Clarkson and Mike Connolly, obviously. Um, but there is no reason the Jazz should have beat the Nuggets last night. I don't even know what the explanation is. I don't I'd know. Say, I, I, I'm bamboozled. I'd say the main explanation was Colin Sexton getting back to himself there. Do you see that clip in like the third quarter or maybe the fourth quarter? He had like 18 points and he caught it like top of the key and looked down Jokic and like pushed his foot down like a bull, young bull going at him and then just drove at him and dunked over him. He's back. He, he is. We went to Cleveland to see the Cavs play the Suns. Was it the Suns during the COVID season? I think so. Might have been the Suns. I can't remember. We went to the we went to Cleveland because that's the closest uh, NBA arena other than Toronto, which the border was closed at the time. What what I'm getting at here is we saw Colin Sexton play. He's a good player, but his time in Cleveland was up. You know, he wasn't really fitting into the system and the team they're trying to build there. So a lot of the rumors around him where he was going to Dallas, um, after, especially after the Jalen Brunson trade, and he ends up on the Jazz. And I think he gave an interview after the game last night where he basically said, like, no, nah, man, we're not in rebuild mode. Like, we got, we got good pieces here. We're going we're gonna to do something special this season. And I don't know that I would take it that far. I would say they're probably still in rebuild mode. But they beat the Nuggets last night, and that was – surprising i don't know what the spread was to start the game out i think it was eight or eight and a half eight and a half and things were looking good for the jazz right from the start they outscored the nuggets 37 to 30 in the first quarter they blew them up by 15 in the second quarter and they beat them by seven in the fourth quarter so i mean pretty much all the way around the jazz were schooling the nuggets and obviously for the nuggets you have um jamal murray coming back right you have Michael Porter Jr. coming back. You have your reigning MVP, Nikola Jokic, coming back. And he put up 27, only four rebounds, actually, which is kind of surprising. Six assists, but that's obviously not going to be enough to, to get it done. So I think the Nuggets are a team we're going to have to keep an eye on this season. Yeah, the Jazz just outworked them pretty much. I mean, Michael Porter Jr. and what's his name? Both shot good from the field, I mean. None of them really had bad games. I think they just got outplayed. Yeah. I I mean, if you're a Jazz fan, though, are you hoping for a rebuild so that you can try and get Wimbanyama? Or do you want to see your team actually win games this season? Uh, I think one win is good, and then they can probably <laughs> just lose from here out and out. Yeah, I don't want to seem like I'm overhyping the Jazz, but uh, the Jazz are not a team that's going to make it into the playoffs. So I'd probably just kind of cool it if I were them. Yeah. Speaking of not overhyping them, um, I'm going to move into my underdog for next week. I've got the Jazz plus eight tomorrow night. Who are they playing? They play in Minnesota. I need this game for revenge pretty much against Minnesota. (laughs) So I think Jordan Clarkson and the boys are going to be ready to go. Huge win. I think they they can keep it close at least. Yeah, I would say... um based on how Minnesota looked, 
and based on how the Jazz looked last night, there's a good chance they do cover that spread. Let me see what I had for my underdog. I got to pull that up here quick. My underdog for next week. And again, I just want to mention we, we are recording this on Thursday night. So by the time this episode comes out, these games will have already occurred because the NBA spreads are only out for tomorrow, Friday, October 21st. So you'll be able to evaluate these guesses or these, these picks um, when you're listening. But my underdog pick for this week is going to be the Raptors plus four at the Nets. The Raptors looked pretty decent last night, beating the Cavs. Obviously, Darius Garland went up, went down with an eye injury last night, and I don't know the status of that. But they beat the Cavs, which was pretty good. But the Raptors are one of those teams that are going to look flashy a lot of the time, and then they're just going to have random games where they get beat pretty handedly. But especially with how the Nets looked, I'm surprised the Nets are still four-point favorites. I think that the Raptors have the more complete team at this point with – you know, Fred Van Vliet, they have Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes, the, um, who's really good, had a really good rookie year last year. So that's my underdog pick Raptors plus four of the Nets. Uh, next one is my favorite pick. I, I couldn't decide between the Celtics minus one and a half at the heat or the Pelicans minus five and a half at the Hornets. I don't want to pick against the Hornets because obviously they're our team. But I don't know how you watch the Pelicans absolutely dismantle the Nets and not pick them to cover a five and a half point spread. We'll talk about the Hornets game a little bit coming up shortly. But the, the Hornets, Hornets dismantled them. The, the Hornets dismantled the Spurs, but the Spurs are god awful and the rosters are so 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 different in favor of the of the Pelicans. I mean just take Zion, for example. The Hornets have literally nobody to match up with him. Who are you going to put on Zion? Plumley? <laughs> I think you put five guys on Zion and <laughs> try to stop him. Taking a look at the Hornets' best defenders, you know, you're talking like Cody Martin, who's doubtful for tomorrow's game with a left thigh irritation or whatever the word. I can't remember what it was, but he's he's doubtful for tomorrow's game. The Hornets put out their injury report already. Um, obviously Lamelo's out again. Who else is going to play defense on Zion? Who else is going to play defense on Brandon Ingram? What CJ. do we have in ter- <laughs> what do we have in terms of wing defense to to stop CJ? I don't I as much as I want the Hornets to win the game, I hope I'm wrong with this pick. But my favorite pick is going to be Pelicans minus five and a half at the Hornets tomorrow. Yeah, I thought about that one too, but couldn't do it. I mean, I have some words for coach Popovich when we get to the Hornets game but for now my favorite of the week favorite favorite is the Suns minus three against the Blazers I mean the Blazers didn't look bad last night but the Suns came all the way back obviously an emotional game for them and I think they got the monkey off their back and I think they're going to come out ready to just roll over the Blazers I obviously said the T-Wolves were going to roll over in their first game and that didn't happen so got to get right here i mean let's be clear the trailblazers beat or the trail the trailblazers won last night so they're one and oh they beat the kings though and the kings have a few pieces they're better than they probably have been in the past couple years they have um sabonis they have deer and fox right um egan murray they have Keegan Murray. He was out last night, though, with an injury. I don't know what right. his status is going forward. I mean, the Blazers beat the Kings by seven. 
it's not really anything to write home about. So I would be utterly shocked if the Suns did not cover that spread. And what's honestly more shocking to me is that it's only the spread is only three points. Yeah. I think if they lost the first game, if the Blazers did, the spread might be like 20 points, but I'll take it. Anything else you want to mention in week one? I have one shout out I want to do before we move on to the Hornets. Nope. Go for it. I would like to shout out some rookies who put on big performances last night. I don't want to talk about any of the individual games because it doesn't really matter. And I want to get on to the next segment here, but I do want to mention these rookies who were all picked pretty high in the draft last year. You have Paulo Banquero put up 27, nine and five last night in a game at the Pistons. The Pistons ended up winning the game by a few points. I don't remember what the score was offhand, but I saw a tweet. I don't know the accuracy of this, so it's coming from Twitter, but somebody on Twitter said that his 27 points last night was the most ever by a rookie in their debut. And it's not honestly surprising to see why he was so hyped up. I wasn't a Boncaro fan just because he was at Duke. Don't like Duke. Don't like Coach K. Like to see them lose last year. But honestly, after watching last night's game, Paolo is going to be a force this year on that Magic team. And I'm not saying they're going to go anywhere. They're not going to make a run in the playoffs or anything, but I'm not going to be surprised if Paolo averages 20 points a game this season. Yeah. We also had... I was just going to say Paolo was the only other person I had on my list, but I knew you were going to mention him, so I didn't mention him there. But I think it's going to be one of those situations like the Los Angeles Angels where Mike Trout hits five home runs a game and then they still (laughs) lose by 10. And Paolo's just going to do crazy numbers and they're going to win 20 games this year. Yeah, he's going to be the combo of Mike Trout and Shohei Otani or however you say that. (laughs) Facts. Yeah. Um, same game. You have Jaden Ivey started at point guard for the Pistons last night, put up 19, three and four, and he was the second on the team in scoring. I think he outscored Cade. I can't remember who the leading scorer was in that game, but he, it was only like by two or three points or something. I think the leading scorer for the Pistons was Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich. It was really good to see Jaden Ivey starting. That man can play basketball. And I think, I think another what did you call the Pelicans earlier? Like our dark horse team or something for the season. Mm -hmm. I think our dark horse team for the Eastern conference has to be the Pistons. Again, I'm not saying they're going to run, make a run to the Eastern conference finals, but they have a lot of pieces that are going to be really scary. Good in two or three years when they've played together for that amount of time. And they can, they can play basketball. And I think that's going to show this year. Yeah. They can in fact play basketball. (laughs) One more rookie from the same game, Jalen Duran, uh, coming out of Memphis from last year. I am still sad that the Hornets didn't keep him. They drafted him at 13, immediately traded him away to the Knicks, got nothing in return. He was subsequently traded to the Pistons. Probably one of the worst trades that we saw all night that that night, but it is what it is at this point. Jalen Duran puts up 14 and 10 with three blocks. He had a, really, a few really good uh, dunks as well last night. And when you compare that to Mark Williams, who played four minutes and did absolutely nothing last night for the Hornets, um, pretty easy to see why we wish that we would have kept Duran. At least yeah. right now, I still like Mark Williams. We'll see what happens with him. Totally different system, but that's that. Uh, two more rookies I want to shout out. Shout out to Benny Matherin. I like him from Arizona. He plays for the Pacers now. He put up 19-7, 2-2 two two in 28 minutes last night. 
And then going back to the Rockets Hawks game, Jabari Smith Jr. put up 17 and seven after starting at power forward for the Rockets last night. So I I don't know the statistics on this, but this has got to be one of the better nights for a rookie class on like opening night of the NBA. Yeah, we'll just we'll just put it out there. Best night for a rookie class NBA all time. <laughs> While we're on the topic of rookies, let's move into the Hornets game. And all I have to say, Mr. Popovich, what are you doing? You're down by 25 and you don't play Malachi Branham, Ohio State product off your bench. Great score. Can go downhill. Put the ball in the hoop. What are you doing? You didn't play him. You played like 12 guys and he didn't get one second in garbage time. I totally forgot that Malachi was playing on the Spurs. And now that you say that, that is very surprising. I just, I have the uh, ESPN box scores up from last night. And if you scroll down, it says for Malachi, he, it was, he was a DNP coach's decision. And I understand he obviously didn't play, but I don't know if that comes out before the game. So maybe he like dressed, but he wasn't going in at all. I don't really know why they wouldn't play him because that team is ass. Yeah, I think they just put that for everybody that doesn't end up getting minutes. Oh, okay. But still. Uh, One note on the Spurs for me from last night, listening to the announcers, was they were recalling an interview that Popovich did where he basically said, we have more teenagers on our team than UTSA, which is, I think, University of Texas of San Antonio. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a Division I school, but very, very small Division I school. And he's like, yeah, we have more teenagers on our team than UTSA does maybe we should just scrimmage them and I think that's actually hilarious and obviously the Spurs are in tank mode and it's very clear after last night that they don't give a shit about the season so good for Popovich going in to earn that check let's not talk about the Spurs let's talk about the Hornets yes let's get into the Hornets then I mean they had seven guys score over 10 points all 15 guys on the roster saw minutes even if it was garbage time just all around great game. I don't think anybody would have saw this coming. I think you probably could have won a million dollars if you bet money on the Hornets winning by more than 25. Right. Especially with the fact that when we recorded last week, I think the Hornets were three and a half point favorites. And as it got a little bit closer, it went down to two and a half. Then LaMelo was officially ruled out and it went down to just a pick them, which means no one's really the favorite and it's just kind of a toss up on who's going to win the game. Very, very surprising to me to see the Hornets go up 16 at the end of the third quarter. Honestly should have taken a wire to wire bet for the Hornets last night. They were up 38, 22 after the first, they outscored the the Spurs by five in the second, by two in the third, by four in the fourth. So they didn't completely blow them out, blow them out the rest of the game. But once they established like a 15, 20 point lead, they kept it the entire game. They played a good game. Who was your MVP for the Hornets for night one? I would say my MVP for night one was probably Nick Richards. He put up 19 and 10 in 21 minutes, which he wasn't the leading scorer. I think he was the leading rebounder, though. Um, Yeah, the next highest was Plumlee with seven and PJ with seven. Nick Richards put up 19 and 10. The reason he's my MVP for the game last night is because he was awful last year. Any garbage time that he got was not productive whatsoever. Clifford comes in to take over the reins this season. In one of his first couple interviews, he's talking about how high he is on Nick Richards. And I think everyone on Hornets on Hornets Twitter was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Nick Richards was awful last year. And we were shocked when Clifford was high on him. But you know what? He's the coach. He's the one running the practices. It is what it is. 
Nick Richards got progressively better through the preseason, which was only five games. And he came out and actually, I would say, dominated last night. Again, we're not really talking about a super serious opponent. Like he was matched up with Jakob Pertle last night, which, you know, Pertle isn't really that great either. So not yeah. a really good, not, not like a super great matchup for him, but he put up 19 and 10. Another guy I also want to shout out, though, is Dennis Smith Jr. And he put up 12, 2, 4, and 2 last night. The two being, uh, let's see, the last two being two steals he had. He was 5 of 7 for from the field goals and 2 of 2 from 3. And I just want to shout him out because this, this is a guy that the Hornets just signed, I don't know, 30 days ago. And he's really been on a couple different teams. He's basically just fighting for a spot in the NBA at this point. And he came out game one. He played only 21 minutes. And in those 21 minutes, he was plus 28. Um, pretty crazy stat, but he looked really good last night. He looked like he fit in really well with the team. And especially when the mellow comes back, I think we're probably going to see Dennis Smith Jr. Get some backup point guard minutes because we can talk about book night in a couple minutes, but book night did not look good last night. Yeah. I don't think we need to talk about book night very much. <laughs> uh, who was your MVP? I had Nick Richards as well. I mean, he was pretty much unstoppable, which is never a sentence I thought I'd say. But if there's one guy on the Spurs that teams have been trying to pull out of there, it's Jakob Pertl. And for Nick Richards to actually play well against him is pretty impressive. So I guess it comes back to how soon would Nick Richards take over the starting role? Getting a little ahead of ourselves, but what we do let let me just put it this way you are never going to make a run in the playoffs with mason plumley as your starting center we should respectfully refer to him as plum dog millionaire from here on out okay let me let me restate that you will never make a run in the playoffs with plum dog millionaire as your starting center you're probably also not doing it with nick richards as your starting center but (laughs) i honestly think after last night this is my way too early reaction to the game. He was way better than Plumley last night. He looked like he actually had a presence in the paint. And I honestly, I know that Plum Dog says that it feels better when he's shooting left-handed, but I cannot stand the sight of Plumley pulling up for a mid-range jumper and shooting the ball with his left hand. It's ungodly. Yeah. Um, let's they see what else They should probably here. just tie his arms behind his back and let him <laughs> run around like that. That would probably honestly be better for him. Um, the Hornets ended up winning 129 to 102. It was the biggest margin of victory for the Hornets on opening day in franchise history. Again, playing the one of the worst teams in the NBA, if not the worst. Really good to have Eric Collins and Del Curry back on the mic for this one. Um, and let's see, the last thing I have on this game for the Hornets was, disclaimer, this was against an awful team. Don't get me wrong. But... We're taking that part out. (laughs) Keep it. This is the best the Hornets have looked on both ends of the floor in a very, 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 very long time. Regardless of the team you're playing against, the Hornets are either decent on defense or they're looking good on offense but lacking on the other end. And they looked really good on both ends last night. And sometimes this is the type of win that you need to kind of get things in gear and see what you're going to do. So I'm pretty excited about it. That excitement might only last until tomorrow night when they get blown up by the Pelicans, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, for sure. I don't really want to talk about it 
but I do want to mention it because I also saw an interview from Clifford on this. Actually, let me start out with Miles Bridges. The very, very 10-second update is his case got continued a seventh time to November 3rd with basically no end in sight at this point. There's no update. So, all right. James Booknight didn't get a lot of a lot of time last year. Had a few scuffles with Borrego before Borrego got let go. Coming into this season, we all thought maybe he was going to be the backup to LaMelo. He was a lottery pick for the Hornets. So in theory, you want him, want him to be pretty decent for the organization. He injured his wrist last year at the end of the year. So he didn't play in summer league, didn't play in preseason really. Um, so he looked pretty awful. But the bigger thing for Book Knight is I think it was late Sunday night or early Monday morning. Book Knight was arrested on suspicion of DWI. He was found passed out in his car in a par- in a parking garage with a gun and a bag of Doritos on his lap. Um, there was apparently another gun in the car, but there were no weapons charges filed against him. So the only charge against him was the suspicion of DWI. I, I guess that means his car was probably running and he was in it. Pretty amazingly, and I don't use that term in a positive way, I was pretty shocked to see it. He was at practice hours after he was released from jail on those charges. And still played last night which i think a lot of people were surprised about rightfully so in my opinion the hornets clearly have a culture issue in the locker room right i mean this was really the off season from hell we all like montrez harrell he's not in the hornets anymore but he got arrested for basically drug trafficking those charges got reduced and he ended up on the sixers you have miles bridges getting arrested for his three felony domestic violence charges you have um now book night getting arrested on suspicion of dwi but found with two guns in the car and i want to just make sure we mention the bag of doritos that he also had i don't feel like it's important but it's important so so book night gets arrested he's he plays in the game a lot of people are questioning like does this send the wrong message that you're letting someone who was literally arrested like 48 hours ago and released from jail play in a game for your team and like it's not like book night is playing 30 minutes and putting up 25 points right he played 14 minutes he literally didn't score he had two rebounds one assists and a foul like he did literally nothing meaningful for the hornets last night so the question basically is one why play him anyways but two does it send the wrong message? And I want to get your thoughts on that before I tell you what Clifford said today when he was asked about it by a reporter. All I have to say about that is I was going to say the same thing about the bag of Doritos. I mean, all the news stories are like James Booknight arrested. He had a Glock in one hand and a bag of Doritos in the other. Like TMZ got a photo of him in the car. I don't know how. I mean, it had to have been maybe either it was either somebody walking past seeing him in there and maybe that's who called the cops on him or maybe it was one of the cops that pulled up but tmz got a photo of book night passed out in his car and i'm not trying to like denigrate the seriousness of this but it is pretty funny that everyone's focusing on the bag of doritos yeah it looked like it was like a parking ramp picture or something maybe a security camera yeah it was in a parking ramp yeah um yeah so he had two assists a rebound and a bag of doritos official stat line I don't remember the reporter's name. I would if I looked it up on Twitter, but a reporter was interviewing Steve Clifford today about his decision to basically play James Booknight last night. The question is what I said earlier, why are you playing him? 
with everything that's going on, why aren't you just like, you don't have to suspend him. You are still investigating quote unquote, Mm -hmm. but you are, you don't have to play him. And Clifford's response was basically two parts. Part one was while we're still investigating and that's ongoing. And that was it. The short part one. And the short part two is, well, technically he was still eligible to play last night. He wasn't suspended by the team and he wasn't suspended by the NBA. So why wouldn't I play him? I'm the coach. My job is to win, get, to give our team the best chance to win with, with the guys we have. And I'm going to play whoever is eligible for the game if I can. And if I see it as you know a good opportunity for the team. And my, my final closing thought on that is that is a very, very weak answer to the reporter and to the rest of the fans that are tuning into the interview wanting this team this organization to to clean up the the culture issues that they have here they need to get these culture issues cleaned up because at the end of the day you're not going to be a successful winning team with these issues persisting you're going to lose a lot of fans and at the end of the day why would Lamelo want to stick around on a team like this where every other day it seems like someone's getting arrested getting sent to jail, even if it's for a short stint. And it's a lot of negative attention on the team that they don't really need right now. And that's all I have to say about the Hornets and James Bowe tonight. Good win last night. Are you watching the Bucks game? Yeah, I was going to mention that. I think there's two seconds left, and I can't remember who was at the line while I was talking, but uh, the Sixers missed a free throw or two there. So it's 89-88 Bucks. Pretty low-scoring game, actually. Two yeah, and a half seconds. Oh wow. Something. So we are talking about the Bucks with the ball. Obviously, they got fouled, so they'll go to the line and Sixers will have another chance to tie it, but it's only two and a half seconds left. So we'll see what happens. And I I, I you know what? I will say one thing about the Clippers Lakers game. The Clippers are only favored by five and a half points tonight against the Lakers. And honestly, that shocked me because just waiting for the uh, box score to load up here that shocked me because honestly I felt like the, the spread tonight given the Lakers performance in the first game of the season probably should have been like 25 not five um, but it is what it is Kawhi is coming back that'll be interesting John Wall's first game is a is a clipper I was gonna take this one as my favorite but I didn't want to I didn't want the recording to go into the game yeah Paul George is back yep Paul George is back it's going to be going to be interesting. My pick for finals, my pick for the uh, NBA finals champ. So we'll see how that goes. Okay. Let's talk about some college basketball. The thing we've been waiting to talk about for months and months and months. Now, last exposure to college basketball was the tournament in last March and April where the Kansas Jayhawks beat the North Carolina Tar Heels in the championship game. A little bit of a win-win for me. I like the Tar Heels, but I also picked the Jayhawks to win the tournament in my bracket. So I won our our uh, intra family, you know, bracket challenge. Pretty pumped about that. Congrats! <laughs> just want to rub it in your face a little bit that I did pick the winner of the tournament. That happens once, you know, every decade maybe. So I'll take it, but probably won't happen again this year. Um, we don't have any games in the in college basketball until November seventh. So there's no games to talk about, no picks to make yet. But the only big piece of news that we do have for college basketball, at least at this point, is that the AP Top 25 was finally released. 
on Monday, October 17th. I was going to read through the top 25. Number one, North Carolina. Number two, Gonzaga. Number three, Houston. Number four, Kentucky. Tied for fifth was Kansas and Baylor. Seven, Duke. Eight, UCLA. Nine, Creighton. Ten, Arkansas. Musbus. 11, Tennessee, 12, Texas, 13, Indiana, first Big Ten team, 14, TCU, 15, Auburn, 16, Villanova, first season without Jay Wright, 17, Arizona, 18, Virginia, 19, San Diego State, uh, 20, Alabama, shout out Nate Oates and Dom Welch, 21, Oregon, 22, Michigan, 23, Illinois, 24, Dayton, the only Atlantic 10 team in the top 25, and 25, Texas Tech. There's your top 25 what are your thoughts? <laughs> it's a lot of information. First thing I thought of was the Houston Cougars being number three, final fours in Houston this year. Yep. A little bit of a homecoming party for them. They have a good say. team. Marcus Sasser's the American preseason player of the year. They're loaded. They brought a lot of guys back. I think that's a good spot for them, if not higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got a... Uh... They weren't too far behind North Carolina and Gonzaga in the voting. They were only 130 points back from North Carolina and only 70 points back from Gonzaga, 75 points. So my my interpretation of how people are viewing this top 25 is that it's basically like North Carolina, Gonzaga, and Houston on one tier. So they're like the top tier, top three teams. And then there's a little bit of a break with Kentucky and then maybe even another break after Kentucky. And then like Kansas, Baylor, Duke, UCLA, break everyone else. That's kind yeah. of the reaction that I'm seeing. I don't know if I buy that really, but I do think at least the top three are probably where they should be, if not necessarily rearranged. I will say, though, I would have been very shocked if North Carolina was not number one, just given how well they did last season. Obviously, they're returning Armando Baycott, Leaky Black, Caleb Love, and RJ Davis. Armando Baycott and Caleb Love are two of the top candidates for wooden, the Wooden Award this year, which for those that don't know, that's the College Basketball Player of the Year Award named after John Wooden. Leaky Black is probably, I don't, I haven't seen the list, but I'm guessing he's one of the top candidates for like Defensive Player of the Year Award in college basketball. And RJ Davis is an absolute floor general. The only player they lost to the NBA because of eligibility was Brady Manick, who now plays in the Australian National, National Basketball League, I think. So they're returning four out of five starters. They have Puff Johnson, who's the younger brother of Cam Johnson, who's a starter for the Phoenix Suns right now. They also have Pete Nance, who transferred in from Northwestern. So I would have been shocked if North Carolina wasn't the number one team. I guess you can make an argument as to Gonzaga or Houston, but I don't know how you don't put North Carolina number one. Yeah, I would have put them one too. I definitely wouldn't have put the Zags at one. I'm not a big Drew Timmy guy. So I think they can be at two. I think they can be at three or four. I wouldn't have really cared. The Kentucky Wildcats are up there rolling with Sheboy back reigning player of the year. Before you move on, I want to mention on Sheboy came out. I don't think it, I don't think it was at like the, you know, SEC media day or anything. Cause it was a couple of weeks ago now, but Sheboy had, Come on, I'm trying to look at this article here. I don't remember when it was, but Calipari came out and mentioned that Shibwe was having a knee surgery about two weeks before, you know, all of this was kind of taking place here. And it's it was kind of a shock to everybody, I think, um, because no one really knew that he was having knee issues. Did you hear about that? 
Yeah, a little bit. I saw that. I don't know why, but I still follow John Calipari on Twitter. So sure. interesting enough, but I saw that he tweeted it and he was just like, oh, nothing major here. Just our best players getting knee surgery two weeks before the season, a week before the season, but he'll right. be fine. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's being noted as a minor surgery, but it's not like it's not like Shibway came out of last season with a knee issue, at least my perspective and what I'm understanding is it's not like he came out of last season with a, uh, with a knee issue and is just now finally getting addressed. Um, he, I don't think anybody really knew about the knee injury, so we can take Calipari at his word right now, but I don't really know what, um, you know, the extent of the injury or the extent of the rehab. I'm sure he probably is going to be fine, but the reason that we're talking about him and the reason he's so important is he won the wooden award last year. He was the player of the year for college basketball last year. And he is the first player in, I think, 15 years or so to win the player of the year award and then come back to school. Most of them will just either because of eligibility or because they want to go make that money. Uh, we'll enter the NBA draft and, you know, do what they got to do to start their career out. Um, I think the last player you mentioned Tyler Hansborough in 08, 09, I think one player of the year. Mm-hmm. And he, or 07, 08, one player of the year, and then came back because then the Tar Heels won the 08, 09 championship. So, anyways, a little bit of uh, a little bit of news on Oscar Shibway. Sorry, I cut you off there on your, as you're going through the top 25. No, you're good. The next team I wanted to bring up was the Creighton Blue Jays. They're number nine, which is a lot lower than a lot of people thought they would be, a lot lower than I thought they would be, thought they'd be at least the top five. Their team is supposed to be stacked, the best team they've had in a while, but that was a little shocking. Still the highest in program history, though. Yeah, true. That's not bad. They win some games. I'm sure they'll be right up there. For sure. You have a little bit of an SEC contingent, obviously outside of Kentucky, but you have a little bit of an SEC contingent at 10 and 11 with Arkansas and um, Tennessee. That should be interesting. You have Texas at 12 in the Big 12 as well. Uh, And the reason I wanted to mention Texas is because Baylor is going for their third consecutive regular season Big 12 conference title this year. And... Uh, I was listening to a podcast earlier today. I don't remember what they mentioned, but the interesting fact about the Big 12, and it was, and as it was formerly known, the Big 8, the last team to win three Big 12 regular season titles in a row outside of the Kansas Jayhawks uh, hasn't been done since 1950. And I think that was um, the Missouri Tigers who were in the Big 8 at the time. So interesting little tidbit of information, um, but should be an interesting battle in the Big 12 this year. I want to ask you what your thoughts are on the Buckeyes not being ranked. Um, I wasn't really expecting them to be ranked. They <laughs> lost like eight or nine or ten guys last year. They have ten new guys on the team this year. Yeah, They have a top five recruiting class from, or I think top seven or eight recruiting class from 2022. I think they'll be fine, but I think people just don't really know where to place them right now. Yeah. Um, I think they have a really high ceiling, but 
just not sure how the everybody will pan out. They're going to be one of those teams that are uh, going to have to make a statement this season, not because they need to prove that they're any good, but because they, I think there are so many question marks, like you just mentioned around the team. The Lakers just had a three to open that game up, which is very surprising. <laughs> um, uh, let's see here. I mentioned when I was running through it, the first Big Ten team in the top 25 is Indiana. The Big Ten hasn't won a championship since Michigan State in 2000. Is this the year the Big Ten finally bucks up and wins a championship? Um, probably not if it's the first time since 1977 that they haven't had a team in the top 10. It's not a great start, but yeah. we're here for it. Bounce back. Especially with so many teams. I feel like you run through the top 25 and you have – 10 of the top 25 brought like four or five players back, which I guess the counter argument to that would be, well, you didn't win. You didn't win the championship. You didn't win the tournament last year and you brought the same players back. So what, what are you expecting this year? But I think bringing back a contingent of players in college basketball is a massive, massive head start because so many teams have players that are one and done at this point that any, any like, Anytime you can have players who have played together before, the electricity that that can bring to your team can be really, uh, really, really great as you go forward throughout the season. Um, let's see. I mentioned Villanova at 16 for their first season without, without Jay Wright. That should be interesting to see. And then I wanted to run through really quickly the conference breakdown, which I thought was pretty interesting. So you have the Big 12 and the SEC both have five teams in the top 25, but the Big 12 only has 10 teams total despite the name. So in frauds. effect, <laughs> absolute frauds. The Big 12 has half of their conference in the top 25, which was pretty eye-popping to me when I read that. The ACC, the Pac-12, and the Big 10 all have three teams in the top 25. The Big East has two schools, uh, Creighton, which you mentioned was the highest in their program history, and obviously Villanova. And then the A-10 with Dayton, the American Athletic Conference with Houston, the Mountain West Conference with San Diego State, the West Coast Conference with Gonzaga, I'll have one team in the top 25. Just kind of an interesting, I think it's kind of interesting to see what the breakdown is of those teams. Um, we'll have to get down to Bonaventure and watch a Dayton game this year if they're going to be that good. True. Um, if you looked at the football program and the basketball programs and mashed them together, do you think North Carolina has the best combo? Um, going to roll through the top 25 here. Kentucky's good. Kentucky is a top 15 yeah. football team. Kentucky's Will got Levis. A, Drake May is better than Will Levis. Um, North Carolina has one of the best offenses in the country this year. We're not going to talk about their defense. Uh, Kansas because they don't have a defense. <laughs> Facts. Uh, Kansas has looked pretty good this year. I'm pretty high on their football team, but we'll see how much luck they have left this season. Oh, it might be Tennessee, uh, though. Tennessee and Tennessee could be. Hendon Hooker or whatever. Hendon Hooker, you have Texas at 12 and also a good football team. Horns down. <laughs> Quinn Ewers effect. TCU has a good football team. Auburn's football team sucks this year. The, um, let's see. Alabama, obviously, powerhouse of the SEC, even though they just lost to Tennessee. So maybe they're really not the powerhouse anymore. And you have Michigan as well, obviously. And that's pretty much it. I think it's probably between... I mean, look, if you match the North Carolina football team up against Kentucky, the football team is probably the football team from Kentucky is probably going to wipe the floor with North Carolina. Maybe not. I, I, I would hope not. It might be a good game, but, you know, they probably would. Kentucky would win handily. 
Yeah, probably. But then if you match the North Carolina basketball team up with Kentucky, I would say North Carolina probably beats Kentucky 70% of the time. So I'd say it's probably close between those two. Maybe Kentucky breaks the tie there. Definitely really interesting to see the breakdown of all of this because a lot of these schools that you would typically deem basketball schools have had football teams come out and wreck this year. Yeah, that's for sure. An overrated team for me in the top 25 is Baylor. Um, I know a lot of people are really high on them. They have Scott Drew coaching. but And this is literally only for two reasons, and they both have nothing to do with the players heading into the season. First reason, Baylor went on an international tour over the summer. It was supposed to be like the debut of their basketball team for this season. They went one and four against teams that they should have wiped the floor with. I mean, no basketball teams, no sports teams schedule these like international tours with the idea that they're actually going to be competitive. I mean, same idea with the Suns losing to the Adelaide 36ers in the preseason. The Bears, the Baylor Bears went one and four against international teams, which is pretty embarrassing for them. And the second, and maybe this is how I transition into the next point, is Scott Drew said at Big 12 Media Day that the NCAA tournament should be expanded to 128 teams. Yeah, I saw that. He said 128 teams. He said instead of like stacking the first four weekends, he would, it would be just like the same amount of first fours, but just like 120 teams make it and they just play one extra round in the beginning. Yeah, basically just be one extra round. Um, can mention the expansion really quickly here. I think it's a topic that has been in the news as teams have been going to media days over the last two weeks or so. And it's been something that has been kicked around for years now. I mean, not really taken seriously until lately, but um, at the ACC media day, their ACC commissioner, Jim Phillips, called for an expansion from 68 to 96. There isn't a lot of detail on how that would really look. I think from his perspective, you'd be adding 28 teams. So about a quarter of the teams playing college basketball would make the tournament. If you're adding 28 teams, I think his inclination was that the winners of the 32 conference tournaments would get auto qualifiers to the like legit round of 64. And then you would just add on seven more first four tournaments, which seems really odd to me because as much as the first four tournament is technically a part of the NCAA tournament, it's, (laughs) it's like, it's like really not a part of the NCAA tournament. So I, that just seems really odd to me. The Big 12 media day, like I mentioned, Scott Drew, the Baylor coach mentioned he wanted to bring the total to 128 teams, which is 35% of college basketball teams making the tournament, which would be more significant because, like you mentioned, he just wants to add another round on. And I think one of his main points was college football does it, so why can't college basketball? But I think you have to take that and put it a little bit of context behind it because he's talking about college football teams making bowl games. And that is not the same as the NCAA tournament in March and April. You know, I feel like bowl games, a lot of the time are just kind of like, whatever, a lot of senior players or players that are otherwise heading into the NFL draft opt out of playing in bowl games because they don't want to get injured. It's just kind of like a nice way to end the season with like a, with, with playing in a bowl game, but it doesn't really mean anything. So I think it's a pretty bad, pretty bad comparison for him. And as much as it would be fun as a fan to watch an extra two days of, 
you know, noon to midnight coverage of college basketball. I don't know, really know how I feel about it. I mean, they're doing it obviously because it could bring a lot more money into the programs, into the NCAA as a whole. As far as I know, there's no like official progress on a decision being made on this. The NCAA transformation committee, whatever that is, they're currently looking at expanding postseason tournaments across the NCAA and all sports anyways. So I think they're just kind of throwing it around and seeing what happens, but I don't know. What do you think about it? You think they should expand or no? Yeah, I think they should just full send it. Let as many teams in as they want. More basketball. I'll take it. But I think if you're going to go to 128, might as well go 100%. Go to 356, let everybody in and just let them battle it out. I mean, Royal Rumble style. Let's get after it. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I I get it. I get it. And I think part of it maybe is being also driven by the whole conference realignment which we're not going to get into right now because that's a whole nother episode probably mm-hmm. but with co- with conference realignment issues you're having you know conferences like the big 10 um taking on more and more teams and the big 10 is basically going to say like we deserve more at-large bids now because we have these teams joining our conference and instead of getting like three or four or five big 10 teams into the tournament we want seven eight nine ten teams in the tournament um so I think that's also driving the discussion and I guess we'll kind of see, obviously it's not going to happen this year. It probably won't happen next year. Maybe the earliest it'll happen is the tournament that takes place in 2025, which is weird to think about, but we'll see what happens there. Yeah. It would be interesting. I mean, they'd have more games in more places. Probably I think we'd have a lot more games in Buffalo. That would be cool. We got to go last year. Well, I didn't go with you, but I was there when Richmond upset Iowa and South Dakota State almost upset Providence last year in the first round. But Richmond upsetting Iowa was pretty interesting because a lot of people had Iowa making it to the championship last year with Keegan Murray, who now plays on the Kings. Yeah, I don't even remember what games that we saw last year. I think we saw Arkansas, Arkansas and yeah. oh, South Dakota State, Jack Arkansas. Rabbits. I think you saw Arkansas and Vermont on the first round, didn't you? Yeah. I think South um, Dakota State was the other one. I don't know who they played. Did you go for the second round? Well, you got two games with one ticket, you know? Yeah, but I saw South Dakota State almost upset Providence. You saw you saw Providence play. Oh, yeah, I did go for the second round. I mean, you still would have got two games. They would have been back-to-back, but... Oh, yeah, because the round of 64 was Thursday, and then the round of 32 was Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me see. There's one more thing I want to mention because I'm a North Carolina fan. Uh, this is the 10th time in North Carolina history that they are number one in the AP preseason top 25. They broke a tie with Duke, which both teams had nine before. So this is just another way that North Carolina basketball and North Carolina sports in general is ending Duke as, a, as an athletic university. Um, and a little bit of a fun fact for you. I like throwing these at you. The last time a team was number one in the preseason AP top 25 and went on to win the NCAA tournament, who was it? And what year was it? North Carolina Tar Heels. Yes. 2008. 2008, 2009. Oh, that, that was the Tyler Hansborough, Ty Lawson, Danny Green, North Carolina Tar Heels. Number one in the AP top 25 preseason poll. I think they ended the final preseason poll at number two. Um, they were a one seed in the tournament, and obviously, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the season goes.
You want to talk college football for a minute? Sure. Let's do it. You going to make some picks here? I was just going to run through them quick. <laughs> a few good ones. I don't know. Yeah, let's do it. We've been let's... pretty hot with our picks the last week. Yeah. Last yeah, two no. weeks. Might as well keep it rolling. Get them on the record here. First game, big game. Nittany Lions of Penn State. State Penn play Minnesota. Big white out. What are you thinking? Yes. So Penn State minus four against Minnesota. Um, Penn State got absolutely wiped last week by Michigan, which was pretty disappointing coming off the bye week. I saw a crazy stat that James Franklin is like three and seven coming off the bye week in his career or something like that, which is honestly, honestly super disappointing. I'm a James Franklin fan, but I'm also a little bit tired of Sean Clifford and you're probably not as entrenched in the Penn state fan base. I mentioned in the first episode, I went to law school at Penn state. So um, I was there in the Saquon Barkley era. So I have pretty high standards for the Penn state football team. Um, I, there is a big contingent of the Penn state football fan base that wants freshman drew Aller to start over Sean Clifford um, in games where Penn state has been up, you know, garbage time football and in some games even earlier like playing at the half uh james franklin has put drew aller in this season james franklin's comments on this are you know we want to get the freshmen some actual experience and not just have them sitting on the bench the whole season especially if you don't really need sean clifford to play but sean clifford is your stereotypical quarterback who can wipe the floor with obviously the bad teams in college football that they face he can win a game. He's been there for like 18,000 years as their quarterback. So, you know, he knows how to win games. He's faced adversity. But if you go back and look at Sean Clifford's career, you can basically pinpoint a time every season where he's having a he's having a decent year. He's getting Penn State to like 3-0-4-0-5-0-6-0, somewhere like that. Maybe you lose a game in there once in a while. And then Sean Clifford faces some adversity and he – throws a throws a pick at a critical moment he fumbles the ball he causes penn state to lose the game and that's where the season kind of goes out of control and that happened again you know versus michigan this past week and i'm hopeful that penn state will come out and beat minnesota minnesota did start out very hot this year then they lost to purdue and that kind of i think leveled expectations for them this year i think on paper penn state wins and covers the spread of four points easily but anything can happen, especially Penn state coming off of a defeated, you know, coming off of a bad loss to Michigan last week. That said, the Penn state whiteout is the best show in college football. And I think they're going to beat Minnesota by four, at least. Yeah. I mean, you can't really <laughs> lose that game if you're state Penn. Um, I, I got to just stop shitting on my teams. <laughs> it's hard for Hornets fans. It is. It is. It is. We say that with, Peace and love, respectfully. Let's talk about, um, I think they have, oh, I don't really know why the schedule is this way, but. I have some of them. I can just go through them. Go for it. You run through the list. I'll stop trying to pull it up here. Number 14, Syracuse Orange playing Clemson. Number six, Clemson's favored by 13. Syracuse has been like a ground and pound type football team so far this year. They've been able to air it out a little bit, but Clemson's, defensive line is just nasty i don't 
if they try to run it into them, I think they're just gonna be in for a long day and Clemson might just just squash them. Yeah, I think Syracuse has had I don't want to say an easy year. They do have a good quarterback. They have a good football team, but they also have had quite a few easy games. I forget what team they were playing like two weeks ago when at halftime they agreed to shorten the second or the, the third and fourth quarter to 10 minutes because they were beating the team so badly, which apparently you can do under the NCAA rules. Mercy rule. Um, mercy, basically the NCAA football mercy rule. <laughs> that said, I don't have a lot of high expectations for the Syracuse football team in this game. Clemson has won some big games recently, and I think Ungia—I don't know how to say his last name—Ungia Lele or something like that. DJ Uga Lele. I think he's going to have a good game against the Syracuse defense. So yeah, I think if it was in the dome, I think it'd be a different game. But for sure. going down to Clemson, I think it's going to be tough for them to get anything going there. What do you have for the spread there? Thirteen and a half. I would say the spread's probably right. If I had to say, I would say I'm probably leaning Clemson to cover the spread. Yeah, but honestly, I could see it going either way. Yeah, it's kind of a heat check for both teams. Tell you what, though, if Clemson only barely skates by or loses, I'm not going to say it tanks their season, but I think it starts a different conversation about that football team. Yeah, I think it hurts their case pretty bad if they lose. The next game I have here is number nine, UCLA on the road, number 10, Oregon. Oregon's favored by six. Bo Nix game. I mean, he hasn't played someone that good since they played Georgia. So it'll be a little bit of a tester for him. It's kind of a close game. They're both good teams. They're both showing up a little bit more now in the season. What do you think? Bo Nix has been playing very, very well since they got blown out by Georgia. But the fact that they haven't played anybody, I mean, I'm just looking back at Oregon's schedule right now. They lost to Georgia badly week one, obviously. Then they played Eastern Washington, BYU, who hasn't been as good this year, Washington State, who is decent but hasn't been, you know, they're not a a top contender or anything like that. Stanford, who's been bad this year, Arizona, who's been bad this year. So I I think UCLA is a little bit more wishy-washy. Obviously, I mean, don't get me wrong. UCLA is still 6-0, and so they have a better record than Oregon. They're number nine in the top 25 versus Oregon being top 10. By all accounts, this should be a really close game. I probably would lean UCLA to cover the spread of six and a half points in this game. Um, they're the dog, obviously. Oregon's favored six and a half points. But part of the reason I say this is because I was pretty high on the Washington football team. Um, Washington Commanders? <laughs> the Washington Commanders, the Washington University Huskies, who I think were, I don't remember if they were favored against UCLA. Maybe it was like a three and a half point spread or something like that. And they ended up getting blown out, not blown out too bad, but they ended up losing to, to UCLA before. So I'm thinking UCLA is probably going to cover the six and a half point spread. I don't know who wins, but I think it's going to be one of those games that comes down to the last possession. Yeah, true. I think Bonex is a different animal at home than he is on the road is it a night game do you know let me see i have it up here on my phone it's a 3 30 game in oregon oof i was gonna say a night game in eugene would be a different story too but afternoon game i think ucla might just close it down yeah definitely could be i mean either way bo nix is going to be one of the top quarterback prospects going into the draft next year but 
the Pac-12 is going to be interesting to see how it plays out the rest of the season. And obviously all of these teams are fighting for a chance to make it into the college football playoff. But we're only, what, halfway through the season? or No, we're more than halfway. You play about 12 games in college football, right? Yeah, you play 12, so we are halfway. Half, we're, ha- we're halfway then, yeah. What else you got? We got Texas, horns down, number 20. <laughs> as six-and-a-half-point favorites going into Oklahoma State, number 11. My pick, I'm going to announce it right now. Quinn Ewers and the Longhorns not only are going to cover the spread of six-and-a-half, they're going to beat Oklahoma State and the Cowboys by two touchdowns. Wow. Bold I think pick. I think gold pick. The only reason they're 20, the only reason that people I think doubted them for a little bit is because Quinn Ewers got hurt against Alabama. And and Texas wasn't bad after that, but they weren't the same team. But I mean, you saw Texas come out and absolutely dismantle Oklahoma 49 to nothing. And I understand Oklahoma's piss poor this year, but I don't know how you look at a team like that against a team like Oklahoma state and think that it's going to be close. I think the, the rankings here, Texas being 20 and Oklahoma state being 11 are a little bit of a misnomer. I think Texas covers easily. Yeah, I think so too. I think Texas is just good. They just got pushed back a little bit when Quinn was out, but next we got Mississippi state number 24 at Alabama, number six, Alabama's 21 point favorites. Coming off that loss last week, I think it's probably a revenge game. Though Nick Saban will probably try to just run it up, and I think they probably will cover 21. Yeah. I mean, Mississippi State has been not bad this year, though. I mean, they've beaten – oh, let's see. They beat – or they lost to LSU by 15. They beat Texas A&M by 18. They beat Arkansas by 23. They, they lost to Kentucky by 10. I mean – Alabama wins. I think that it should be a revenge game. But did you see the uh, after Alabama lost to Tennessee last week, the Alabama receiver like struck the woman as he was walking out of the stadium, the Tennessee fan? Oh, yeah, I did just see that. I think it's still presently under investigation. I don't know the Alabama roster all that well. So I don't know if that guy's wide receiver one, wide receiver two. But yeah, I mean, the receivers not- stink this year. So if you take any of them out, it's going to make it even harder. Yeah, exactly. I think Alabama wins, but Mississippi State covers the 21-point spread because that's a big spread for an SEC football game. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much all I got. Buckeyes play at I was going home. To bring up Buckeyes minus 30 at home against Iowa on Saturday at noon. What do you got there? Um, I think the Buckeyes pretty much kill them. The Hawkeyes <laughs> offense sucks. and. I don't know. I think they'll probably just roll over him. CJ's the best quarterback in the country. Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best wide receiver in the country. I think they're going to just keep rolling. I hope it's not a look-ahead spot for the Buckeyes. Next week they have State Penn, so I hope they're not just looking at that one, but I don't think they will be. Yeah, I think that's, you know, could be troublesome, I guess. Um, You don't want to see a team look ahead like that. And Honestly, I don't think they will because even though there's a 30-point spread, and Iowa is not great this year, but they they also their losses have been by a collective nineteen points. I think they won seven to three. I mean, these are all embarrassing scores all the way around. But they won seven to three against South Dakota State. They lost ten to seven against Iowa State. They did beat Nevada twenty seven nothing. They did beat Rutgers twenty seven to ten. 
They lost to Michigan only by 13 points. They lost to Illinois nine to six. Like, I think they are going to get blown out by um, Ohio State on Saturday, but I don't think Ohio State's probably looking ahead to Penn State at this point. I think they got to, they really got to show that they're taking care of business, especially coming off the bye week last week. Yeah, got to take care of business, beat them by 30. Nobody mm-hmm. gets hurt and we'll keep rolling. What do you think about the people that are saying Hendon Hooker, quarterback for Tennessee, is perhaps the favorite over CJ Stroud now? Got a lot of games left here. I mean, <laughs> CJ, if he beats Michigan, and I'm sure if they beat Michigan, when they beat Michigan, he will be the reason why. I mean, the team has to run through him. So if they finish out 12 and now, I think he'll still be the favorite. But if yeah. they drop a game and Tennessee keeps rolling, Hooker could get up there ahead of him. But pretty much just comes down to how they finish how their records look at the end of the year. I mean, they're both great quarterbacks. Can't yeah. go wrong with either of them in the draft, probably. I'm just hoping that um, Bryce Young doesn't somehow come back and win the Heisman again this year. Yeah. The only other game that's, like, big, I guess, Saturday night is Kansas State at TCU. Oh, I think, yeah. I think TCU probably covers a three-and-a-half-point spread. They look really good this year. They gave Kansas their first loss two weeks ago, I think. Yeah, I think so two weeks ago when Tennessee beat LSU the same day. So, I mean, there's not much else I think of note really that we need to cover on college football. Yeah. Especially I've been some- a horn frog supporter this year, so I <laughs> have to keep riding with them. For sure. I think they'll easily cover that three and a half point spread, Yeah, but sure. you never know. You get some hinky college football games every week this year. Facts. All right. That does it. Thank you for tuning in to episode two of the queen city control room podcast. We're always looking for honest feedback on how we can improve the show. So if you could, please head over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and like, follow, and subscribe to let us know your thoughts. You can also email Josh and I here at the show at queencitycontrolroom at gmail.com and let us know your thoughts there as well. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at queencitycitrlrm, which is short for control room. Thanks again, and we'll look forward to talking next week. 